Father, we don't always do it well. So that means that we're gonna receive criticism from some, and we're not here to whine about that. But Lord, there has been a hunger in the heart of this people to welcome you in all of your presence, in all of your fullness, in all of your glory. Lord, I am overwhelmed in my private prayer time at what you are doing. I thank you for the confirmation that you are bringing into our secret chambers of waiting upon you. Father, we just ask again, please come. Please come. Please come. Because if you don't come, we will be left to our own strength, left to our own devices. I ask you to help us as we make this journey. We talked a couple of weeks about our fellow travelers. Today we're going to talk about how to dress for the journey. Lord, there's so much we need to learn, so much of it we thought we already knew. But we say, please come. Interrupt our program, interrupt our theology if need be. Interrupt our plans, interrupt our laziness, interrupt our flesh. And we just say, come, Holy Spirit. I believe in these days that are ahead, you are going to show up in ways that we may not understand, ways that we not be able to comprehend. The glory of the Lord that is felt in this sanctuary will not only be felt in Brown Chapel, but it will be as though it is live streamed along with everything else. And the presence of the Lord will be felt in living rooms, in bedrooms, in kitchens, in family rooms. We know that it is not by might nor by power, but it is by the spirit of the living God. So we ask you to come, Lord Jesus, come, come, come. And um, Father, whatever else you do each week, may your presence come and may we be transformed and changed. We'll never be the same again. Oh no, no. We'll never be the same again. And we're asking in the name of Jesus that you would just turn every home, every office, every small gathering, every home church, let happen there what you're going to let happen here. May the glory of the Lord fill this house. May our worship and praise make a throne big enough to contain you. Now, as I said, I know we'll be flawed. People may remind us we're not doing it the right way, or at least in their opinion. But Lord, help us to not get caught up in arguments with people over things that don't matter. The only thing that matters is the smile of Jesus. The only thing that matters is the fragrance of your presence. The only thing that matters is that we have pleased the Lord. The only thing we live for is to hear well done, good and faithful servant. 
Lord, we want to please you. We want to please you. We want to glorify you. May our children experience a once-in-a-lifetime revival. May the next generation start as far as we've gone. Let our ceiling be their floor. Come in power, we pray. And don't let this prayer leave us. Keep us awake if need be. Keep us focused because we trust you. We trust you. And now we ask you to help us with this message today. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We've talked about the principle of fullness, where we're headed, what we want. We may feel some weeks that our fullness level is, we're like maybe a quarter cup. Other weeks we may feel like yeah, maybe a sippy cup. Other weeks we may feel like we're making progress. But at the same time, we know that it's not about our attainment, it's about His filling. So we ask Him to come and help us. We talked about that principle. We talked about what has happened to us in those great words of the Christian faith. We talked about the change, the consequences, the the challenge, the choice that we make. And God met us each week in a very powerful way. Then we said we wanted to talk about the journey. And we spent two weeks talking about those with whom we travel. Today I want to talk about how you dress. The Lord has said something and he used a phrase that's only used a handful of times. Not everything in the Bible is used with this phrase, put on. Some things we just live in. Some things we just walk out. Some things God will do for us whether or not we ask Him to. He's that good. You know, uh, my children never came to their mama through the years and said, Mama, I'm hungry. You haven't fed me today. She never said, well, you didn't ask. I didn't know you were hungry. No. No, they got fed whether they wanted it or not. We, we knew there were some things that were essential to life. And God knows some things are essential to life for you and for me. Some things He's going to do whether we ask or not or whether we even think about it or not. Other things God will do for us just because He's so good. He's so gracious. But there's a handful of things. We only have time to talk about one of them today. There's a handful of things that we put on we do, we respond, and we find it in Ephesians 6, passage of Scripture we're very familiar with, and uh, we, we see, it's interesting in Ephesians 6, depending on which version you read it in, I think in the NIV, I think it's in here four or five times, uh, there's some versions it's in as many as seven times, usually it's at least five or six is the word stand. Uh, stand, stand, stand. Not react, not chase down, not stand, just stand. And Paul told us that we are to be strong in the Lord in, and in His mighty power. How do we do that? By that word that I talked about called put on. 
we put on something. And he says in verse 11, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Now that does not mean that you won't struggle with people. That doesn't mean that you won't have fleshly enemies. Paul, remember a couple of weeks ago, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. Beware of him. Watch out for him. If he hurt me, he'll hurt you. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. When Paul was writing to the Galatians, they kept trying to go back to the law. And, um, you know, you labor under a system that you can never keep. It never works because the law was not designed uh, except with this primary thing in mind. The law was designed to show us we can't keep the law, that we needed something else. But when we get a reprieve, we keep trying to go back to the law. And Paul said, uh, I wish the people that were trying to get you to go back to the law and to get you to say that circumcision is required. I'm not trying to be vulgar. This is what Paul said. Uh, he said, the ones that want to circumcise you, I wish they themselves were cut off. And what that means, literally what it means is Paul said, if they're so concerned about circumcision, I just wish they'd go all the way and castrate themselves. He was, he was not a happy camper when he was dealing about the freedom from the law. The law served its purpose. It showed us what God required. And then it showed us there's nobody that can measure up to the law except Jesus. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Let me put it to you this way. A wise Christian man or woman will eventually come to the point that they realize this. They come to the point that they begin to see the big picture. And if you don't see the big picture, you will spend your life sidetracked by little things. You see, the more mature you are in the Lord, the more you're able to say, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, even though all week long you may have wrestled with flesh and blood, but you put flesh and blood in their place because that's not the battle. The big picture is the battle. It's what a pastor's got to see. It's what, it's what church leadership has to see. There will be a thousand things the devil will throw at you to distract you, but you must, if you're going to achieve all that God wants, you've got to see the big picture. And that's why he said, we don't struggle against flesh and blood. <laughs> well, he's right in the big picture, in the big picture. But we wrestle, we struggle against rulers, the authorities, and he's talking about spiritual entities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, he says, now I want you to be strong in the Lord, the power of the might, so put on the armor. We wrestle against demonic principalities and powers. And because of that, put on the full armor. This armor is very, very important. He said, put on the full armor of God, verse 13, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand, stand. This version says, after you've done everything, to stand. But I, I love the King James Version. After you've done everything to stand, 
Stand. You see, Paul says not every day is a bad day, but there are days of evil. There are days when it seems in your life and in the life of a church, the life of a society, there are days that it will seem that all of hell has been turned loose. And in the day of evil, what Paul says is this. He says, put on the armor so that you can stand. I tell you, we went through something, the, the, the staff would, and I, we were praying about something, we were going through something, and we just were getting really tired. And R.T. Kendall had a great, uh, oh, Corey's not here today. I think he was on Facebook. Um, I don't, I, I'm not on social media because I, I just don't think I could afford the medication it would take for me to be on <laughs> social media. But um, R.T. had a devotion, I think it was Facebook, where he dealt with this idea of the day of evil. And the version he read from, he said six times, I think it was the version he used, God tells you when you're in the day of evil, just stand. This will pass. These lies will pass. This attack will pass. The flesh will not prevail. Don't get in a fight with flesh and blood learn to stand. That comes when you put on the whole armor of God. You say, well, pastor, there are times I just couldn't help myself. Well, I understand. Just remember what Winston Churchill said though, because I've, I've fought some fleshly battles and even when I won, I, it's, it wasn't worth it. But remember what Winston Churchill said. He said, any dog can win a fight with a skunk. He said, the question is, does he want to? He says, when the day of evil comes, you'll be able to stand your ground after you've done everything to stand, stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. As I was reading this, I was, I, I, boy, my mind is failing me. Uh, Zoe, you'll have to forgive me, but I remember that Zoe Ebo did a, I believe it was Zoe, if my memory's working, um, did a, a short sermon for fine arts on the armor of God. And it was so helpful and so practical. And I remember coming away from that thinking, this is not just an exercise in getting dressed up. She presented something that will make a difference. Yeah. And that's what I want us to do. As we look at this, this word, put on. The Bible tells us, like I said, a handful of things that we are to put on. That indicates an action that is required. I've heard well-meaning preachers, and I, and I know what they mean. I, I know what they're trying to say, and I don't want to take issue with them. They, they say, well, you know, I, I, don't, I don't even put on the armor of God anymore. I just leave the armor alone because Jesus is the armor, and I just take on Jesus. And I understand that. They, they're, they're trying to honor Jesus, and I know that's what they're doing. But the, the thing we have to be careful about is that putting on the armor was one of those few things that Paul said, take deliberate action to put it on. I have a friend 
that, uh, or and a, a, yeah, I'd call him a friend, met through uh, Word, Spirit, and Power. And um, he, he came a few years to our event, and he was talking about how that every morning he goes through his prayer time and he takes the helmet, I mean, symbolically, an imaginary helmet and puts in his, you know, puts on his head, he puts on the breastplate, puts on the belt, the shoes, the sword, and the shield. He says, I do that every day. And I was sitting with somebody out of his church and they said, pastors taught us all to do that. And I said, well, that's fabulous. And he said, the only problem we have and I need to talk to pastor about this is we don't know what to do once we get it on. And he, he wasn't being disrespectful. He was saying, I've got the parts memorized and I know to put it on, but what difference does it make going through the day? What difference does this make? And it wasn't that the pastor was wrong in what he was teaching. It was that for some reason, whoever is, was responsible it wasn't being communicated that this is more than just a children's church illustration. This is something that activates something. I mean, it's, it's you know, it, it, it's like uh, it's something out of, you know, Marvel comics, only it's real and it's better. Something happens. I mean, it's better than Iron Man. Something happens in the spirit when you put this armor on. And what I want to talk to you today is basically two things. Number one, I want to talk to you about what it means to put on the armor. And then I want to, I'm not, I mean, this is, this could be a series, but I want to just walk through the seven identifying armor points and just say why they're important. In fact, I can give you that right now if you want to get a head start on your notes. Number one, the helmet is referred to as the helmet of salvation in a couple of other passages. It has to do with hope. The helmet is not just get saved. That's what I thought for years. Put on the helmet of salvation. That means, first of all, you got to get saved. Well, I, I agree with that. That's where you start, even though it's not the first item listed. But it's more than just being saved. The whole salvation experience is about hope. We'll talk about hope. Then the breastplate. It is about holiness. Okay, so God says, I want you to put on something where you'll have a new understanding of hope. That means, hear me loved ones, you don't see anything the way you used to see it. You don't take your progress reports anymore from this world. Because you're living from a world of hope. And then there's holiness. The belt. And if we get messed up, if we get messed up, um, it's usually with the belt. Because the belt represents truth. And with the exception of the helmet, and even you could include the helmet because there was a way to hang your helmet on your belt. Every piece of armor you had had a focal point or a storage point or a balancing point on the belt. Your belt was the most used piece of armor in the Roman army. And that shows us the importance of truth. I remember going to a sweetheart banquet. I was so young, I was too young to drive. My mom and dad had to take me. And boy, that's, you know, that's a different era when mom and dad take you and the last thing you hear getting out of the car is, 
you do this, you take her arm, you shake her dad's hand, you do all of this stuff. And uh, brought her out. My problem was that I grabbed the wrong belt. Uh, they bought me a new kind of sport coat, new pants, new shoes, and a new belt, but I grabbed the wrong belt. It was my brother's belt. And I walked up there and I just kind of kept hitching my pants every few seconds. Um, I realized I had a problem because I was running for king. I mean, you know, we were running for king and queen and there's a good chance we'd win and I'd have to be up front and I didn't want to have to pull my pants up the whole time. So I, my dad was a prepper long before prepping was, was cool. And he said, you always carry a knife. He said, you don't know when, you know, you're going to need a knife. So I had my knife and I went out to his car. I knew what was in the trunk and I cut a piece of rope, probably about 26 inches around. Don't laugh. And I, I came in there with my tie pulled down a little, my button, uh, coat button. And my daddy said, where'd you go? And I said, out to the, well, he knew where I'd gone because I'd gotten the keys. He said, what is it? And I said, I fixed my belt problem. And he looked and my mom started crying. She, <laughs> and she said, Cliff, do something. We were at, for those of you in Pensacola listening, it was at Martin's restaurant. Daddy took me to the bathroom with the knife, created another hole. I said, my brother, you know, my brother Royce was going to kill me. Uh, thankfully, he was away at college or somewhere. He wasn't there. And my dad said, rope, rope. And he made another hole where it needed to be. I put on the belt and man, we were home free. We were ready for, well, I started to say whining and dining, but maybe I should say for root bearing and dining that night. <laughs> the belt's so important. You've got to understand what the belt's for. It's got to fit. Okay. Then we had the shoes and the shoes. The shoes are very bulky translation. Almost no matter what translation you go to, have your feet shod with the readiness of the gospel, the preparation of peace. Um, but it's a long way of saying the shoes that you will wear in your armor of God are for the purpose of, of establishing and maintaining peace. Your shoes are about peace. You say, well, they were battled and you could go forward, you could go backwards, you could climb. Yeah, but it was to give you confident peace that wherever you stepped, you were in the right place. Peace is huge. The sword, that's an easy one. It was about scriptures. The shield was about faith. And then the last one, he says, to pray in the spirit. It's not a piece of armor like everything else is. He's saying you need to live in an atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. It'll affect the way you pray. It'll affect everything you do. Mega important. Okay, now let's talk about putting on for a minute. We'll, we'll be done on time, I promise you. Um, and then, then I want to just run you through some things. And then I want to give you some homework. That's the only way we can do this justice. Okay. Now remember, we are not wanting this to be something that you just memorize. And there's nothing wrong with what we do in children's church with the whole armor of God. It's one of the clearest examples of the Christian life experience that Paul gives us. And we ought to teach our children about the armor of God. But we need to understand what these things mean and why they're important. 
put on is the idea of your mind or heart believing and your lifestyle behaving. Just in those, that phrase is in the notes. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I didn't get a chance to check beforehand. The, the whole armor of God is not about just looking good. The whole armor of God is to give you a confidence so that you believe and then to give you a stability so that you behave. If you don't believe right, you're missing something about the armor of God. If you don't behave well, you're missing something about the armor of God. The writer of Proverbs put it this way, out of all the wisdom of Israel, uh, there were just a very few <coughs> uh, proverbs that were put, just a, I don't know, maybe 250 proverbs that were put in the book of Proverbs to be remembered. They had to be very selective. They had to, they had to be careful that they chose only the wisest uh, proverbs and the ones that God was giving them to give. <coughs> Excuse me. But the interesting thing is that one of them made it in there twice. And it's found in Proverbs 16, Proverbs 14, and it is this. There is a way that seems right in a man's mind, but in the end it only produces death. Amen. Loved ones, understand this. One of the biggest battles that our society is in right now is which truth is truth. I was listening to an interview the other day and Somebody said, well, I, I don't know if this is right or that's right, but, it, but I can tell you what I believe using my truth. And I thought, wow, that's dangerous. Because that, I know that society doesn't believe this. And that's why Christianity is accused of being uh, very legalistic and very, very demanding and very restrictive. It's because we are. We believe that Jesus is the only way. He's not a God among gods. He is the only way. Jesus himself said that. See, if you don't agree with that, you not only have issues with the church, uh, or at least the, the true church, you also have issues with Jesus himself. He said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man can ever come to the Father unless he comes through me. So we, we have this, this idea of belief, and then we have the idea of behaving now, you, both of them, the, 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 the front and back of the armor have, have to come together. We'll talk about holiness um, in, in a minute. But this is what I'm trying to impress upon you. If the armor of God is going to work for you, you have to understand the importance of embracing a biblical worldview. I tell you something I'm hearing more and more and more, even from conservative pastors. Well, you know, you bring up a verse about an issue and they say, well, there's just different interpretations. No, there's not. I mean, there's, there, there are some different interpretations on certain things, you know, like baptism. Do we sprinkle? Do we immerse? Do we pour? Well, I don't think the mode of baptism determines whether or not you're going to heaven. But you can draw some conclusions from the text, and there are some hints. 
And you can get pretty good, you can get a pretty good interpretation, but I'm not going to fall out of fellowship with someone because they baptize, you know, a different way than I baptize. I'm not going to do that. But life issues, there aren't life issues that are up for grabs like people want to make you think. I mean, the, the core essentials is, is, is pretty well laid out. And we, I, I'm so tired of hearing, well, there's different ways of interpreting that. Yeah, there's the right way, there's the wrong way, you know. And I'm not trying to say that we're right on everything. I'm just saying the Word of God is not so vague that we are left floundering over what it's saying. But he said, be careful because you can... You can this is the, the great sin of mankind, according to Romans 1. And I, I, there's somebody listening to me today. I know it because I was up half the night praying for you. But there are some people that their big thing is my truth. I don't agree with that, but I can agree with this. But when you move away from truth, it doesn't matter what you believe. You say, well, I'm, you know, I'm very sincere. Well, you know, you can be sincerely wrong. You can, you can get on Interstate 20 and drive west and be very convinced that you're going to end up in Los Angeles, but you're not. So you can be wrong and sincerely wrong. And I'm not trying to be belligerent. Um, so what you have to do is put on something. That means there's been something injected into my life that changes the way I think and changes the way I live. Isaiah 61.3, the Lord came to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. And listen to this. He said, God has come, Jesus has come to give you the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. He talked about praise being something that you choose to put on. It's something that you choose to interact with. It's reflected in Colossians 3, 2. Set your heart on things above. It's the same idea behind this put on. Make a decision. This is where my mind and my heart is going to rest. Romans 13, 14. Let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather Clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and do not think about how to gratify the desires of the flesh. He says, clothe yourself. It's that same word translated put on because the King James translation of Romans 13 says this, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Now let me just summarize this real quick and then we'll, we'll, start, we'll start running. We've been stretching and warming up. Now we're about to make a run. The summary I want to give you is this. To put on, to put on the entire armor of God is to develop a mindset based on a biblical worldview and then take actions based on the commands of Scripture. It is to embrace a scriptural, spiritual way of living that results in practical righteousness and victorious living. In other words, to put on the armor of God is basically a call to believe and behave. 
It's not to just look sporty. It's not to make the cover of, of GQ. It's not to get your own website on, on, you know, warfare living in the kingdom of God. It is to cause your mind to think from a biblical perspective and that thinking results in biblical living. Now, let's, let's try to wrap our head around the armor just real quickly here. Um, number one, and I'm not going to take them in order. I'm just going to take them in the order of if you were looking at a Roman soldier, we'll go top to bottom. Okay. Um, number one is the helmet of salvation. This is described as a mind centered on hope. Now, why is that so important, Pastor? You said it's not salvation. No, it, it is salvation, but you, you and I, and I think we've tried with, with great intentionality, we've tried to explain that salvation operates in the sense of hope. Now, there is the past tense, the present tense, the future tense. We know what has happened, and we know what will happen, though it hasn't happened yet. And we're in this battle right here in the middle. And hope, the reason I say Christianity is a religion of hope, is that hope in the biblical sense is a beautiful, powerful word. We've talked about this a lot. But when I say that I have the helmet of hope, it means that I am utterly, totally, undeniably convinced that God will complete everything he's promised, that he will care for me, never leaving me, never forsaking me, and he will bring to fruition my destiny. We know it. Remember, we've talked about this. Hope in scripture is not a, I hope so. Well, the Yankees are going to win the pennant. I hope so. I'm going to, I'm going to have a great round of golf. I'm going to be under par today. Well, I, you know, I hope so because of our culture and context, when we say, I hope so, it means of its nature, I'm not sure it's going to happen, but that's what I'm, I'm shooting for. That's my target. But in scripture, hope says it's guaranteed. It's a done deal. But here's the problem. Hope places no limits of time or method or details upon God. Uh, every time that I know of that hope is used in reference to a particular thing, it's out there and the context of it is, you know this is going to happen. You know God's going to do this. When? I don't know. That's the hard part. That's why the whole process of salvation, this journey to fullness we're talking about, that's why in the New Testament it's called the hope of salvation. Why, why isn't it called the assurance of salvation? It, it can be, but that's just one dynamic. Remember, assurance was just one of the 13 words we used. But the hope of salvation says every one of these words is true in my life and is going to be brought to completion. I don't know when, I don't know how. I know I'm not going to reach perfection in this life. And even though there are churches that believe in sinless perfection, I've never met anybody that lives sinless perfection. One person one time might have been getting pretty close, but then pride entered their life because of their sinlessness. So it brought them down. The hope of salvation means this. I am a work in progress. 
I'm, I'm closer to Jesus than I used to be, but I'm not as close to Jesus as I'm going to be. I've got issues that are victorious and I've got issues that I haven't gotten full victory over yet, but I live in the hope of salvation because God said, I will, he that began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that they are able to keep that which I've committed them against that day. It is going to come to completion. I just don't know the road that will get me there. Um, the, the hope of living in the presence of God forever is called the hope of glory. We, we li I live knowing I am going to be perfect. It's the hope of glory. It doesn't mean maybe you may be sure you're going to heaven, but I'm not so sure. No, that's not what hope means. It's something that we are awaiting. And you know what, loved ones, we're going to be perfect when we see Jesus. Some of us may find perfection years down the road at the return of the Lord. Some of us may find perfection today. We're not, we're not guaranteed another day of life. Uh, uh, perfection may come sooner rather than later, but it is the hope of glory. Now let's, let's go to one other thing that we really get excited about. And that's the return of Jesus, the book of Revelation, the the Matthew 24 prophecies. We get all excited about that and wonder who the Antichrist is and, you know, what's the time of the rapture and, you know, what are the seven years or is it one seven year period or two, three and a half year periods? Who is the Antichrist? We get all of this really worked up and we, we know there's not anybody in here, I would think, that doubts the return of the Lord. We may differ on views but I would venture to say at least every Christian in here would say, yes, I know that Jesus is returning. But what does the Bible call it? The blessed hope. Not because we're not sure if he's coming or not, but because we can't control it. Feel good whenever there are things in your life and God's made you a promise, but it's out of control. That means it is a blessed hope. He's going to do it. We just don't know when. Okay. So here, here's number one. The helmet that I wear means this, loved ones. I start operating. I start thinking. My worry is changed because I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out, but I have the assurance it will happen. It's the helmet of hope. Sometimes we think we know too much, but it's probably just that we know too little. Sometimes we think that, you know, we've been burned. Uh, and, and I'm not going to be disappointed again, but you haven't really been burned. You've just been through the fire of testing. No, it, it's, it's the blessed hope. And I know I've used this example till I've nearly worn it out, but it's just beautifully expressed. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, now remaineth faith, hope, and love. Paul said, your, your life lives primarily in three dimensions of thinking. There's faith, there's hope, and there's love. And I think he's naming them uh, incrementally, going from least to the greatest, because he said, faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. And we need to be careful because we Pentecostals are a movement that have elevated faith above almost everything else when faith may be the lowest level of living. 
I'm just saying it may be the lowest level of living. We're saved by grace through faith, not by works. We'll talk about that in a minute. But the Hebrew children kind of, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego kind of explained it for us like this. They were about to be thrown into the fiery furnace. King said, nobody's going to be able to save you. And then they unpacked their theology. And they said, oh, king, and they had served the king. They had been wonderful advisors to the king. They said, let us, please, let us express our faith. Our God is the greatest of all the entities that are called God anywhere. God is well able to deliver us out of your hand. You don't tell that to a king. You, you sir, if God wants to move you out of the picture, he can. God's able. We have faith that God can do anything and keep us out of the fire. And then they said, they, they upped the ante. They didn't go down, they went up. They said, and we believe that he will. And so now they're saying, we not only know that God is able, we now want you to understand that we believe the God who is able will do what he's able to do. And then they went on another higher step up. But if not, See, I've heard so many people say, well, they're, they're backing off. God, God can deliver us. And, and well, we, we believe he will deliver us. And, oh, but if he doesn't, no, they're not stepping back. They're not stepping down. They're stepping up. They're, they're saying, we know that God has all power. We know that this is not a problem. Loved ones, please don't let me hurt you. But I do want you to listen to me. If you are still living at the place where you're mad with God about everything that hasn't worked in your life, you are living at such a subpar level. You are such a subpar level liver because God has so much more for you than that. You're saying that my faith has to be honored. I know that he can, therefore he has to. And faith, really, the boundaries of faith are, I know God can. This is no problem with God. And that's when you begin to say, well, if God doesn't do what I thought he would do, it's not a problem with him. He's able, okay? They went up and said, and I can see Shadrach saying, are we okay on this, guys? And they're nodding their head. We believe that he will. We have a confidence that he will deliver us. But it was as though they were saying, we're just not sure how. We're just not sure how this is going to play out. And then they said this, taking the highest level they said, but if we're not spared from the fire, that doesn't mean God failed. It doesn't mean he hasn't delivered us. It's just that he hasn't taken the route we want him to take. He said, but even if that happens and it looks on the surface like everything has collapsed and failed, we need you to know that we don't just live by faith and we don't just live by hope. We live by love and we know him enough that even when everything around us seems to be collapsing, we know that God loves us. He's too wise to be mistaken. He's too kind to be cruel. So when God moves in a way we don't understand, when we can't, as one person said, when we can't trace his hand, we'll trust his heart. That's living in hope. That's living in hope. Um, 
And that's why you've got to have that helmet on. Because loved ones, I want to tell you, there are times, if you haven't been there, I guarantee you, you will be. There are times that you will have all your confessions right, all your faith mantra in order, and then God still says no. It's never happened to me, Pastor. Maybe not, but it will. If you live long enough, it will. And then you've got to decide, am I going to stay stuck here in faith or am I going to go up to hope where I trust Him, but He doesn't have to do it my way? And sometimes, loved ones, it's the toughest. This is what happens when you stand by the grave of a child. This is what happens when you watch a dream collapse. This is what happens when the unthinkable presents itself. You see, but even if he doesn't do anything I think he ought to, I'm, I'm going to trust him. I trust him. Please try to keep up. Y'all are really dragging here. The breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is indicative of holiness. But let me tell you two ways holiness is looked at in heaven. Number one is my standing before God. I am holy. You are looking at a holy man. And I'm looking at holy people. But not because we're perfect. We're looking at each other as holy people because we have the righteousness of God in Christ. I took off my old stinky robe and put on his righteous robe. And that's my standing. I am going to heaven not because of my good deeds. I'm going to heaven because of his perfect life. Now, you say, well, then why? What's the other thing? Um, my standing and my lifestyle. You just said we weren't saved by works. Now you're telling me I need to, to do good works. Well, you do good works, but not to get saved. See, Paul said to the Ephesians, he said, we are saved by grace through faith, the ability to receive that grace comes out of our faith. God gives us faith so that we can receive his grace. He says, it's not by works, lest anybody boast. But then he goes right on the next verse. He says, because we are his workmanship created to do good works. You say, Paul must have been schizoid on that day, forgot to take his medication or something. He says one thing and then contradicts it. No, he doesn't. He just put works where it belongs. He said, we're saved by grace through faith has nothing to do with works, but because we are saved, we will also do good works as an evidence of what God has done in us. So the breastplate of righteousness does this. It, I am righteous because I have accepted Jesus and I am righteous because to the best of my ability, I do good works. I live right. We pay attention to scriptures that says, let those that, are, that belong to Jesus put aside iniquity. But the works that we do are just a thank you for what he has done for us. They are an expression of our mindset, but they'll never, no matter what we do, we'll never go to heaven because of our works. You say, well, what, what matter does works have then? Number one, if we learn to do good works, it enhances our relationship with the Lord right here and now. But it also um, gives us in the other life, it gives us a reward. 
Okay, the belt of truth, this indicates that everything we embrace flows out of the truth of God's Word. Every other source of wisdom is secondary to and subjected to Holy Scripture. It is possible for us to ignore truth. It's possible to distort truth. Peter said there are those who wrestle the Scriptures to their own destruction. It is possible to elevate our truth over the truth. But loved ones, here's the good news. It's also possible to submit to the real truth and grow in our understanding and obedience of it. The shoes. The shoes remind us that there are moments of standing and moments of advancing. These shoes, some of the models were called greaves. And they were leather and sometimes they went up above the knee. Um, sometimes they were smaller, but almost, almost all of them uh, for, for combat had spikes on the bottom. There were, there were some plain sold ones for, for marching, but most of them had spikes so that you could stand your ground when it was time to stand, or you could advance if you needed to advance over tough territory. But this is what the shoes really talk to us about, the shoes, the gospel of peace. You and I are designed to operate by the presence or absence of peace. If, if Tim's trying to make a decision, I mean, I mean there, there are qualifiers to what I'm about to say, but if Tim is about to try to make a decision, God said, all things being equal, nine times out of 10, You'll know that is right by me giving you peace. You'll have peace. And if you don't have peace, I mean, you really have a disturbed thing. That may very well be God telling you no. If you, if you don't have anything, then it's probably just keep praying. But God wants us to have peace and not be enveloped in this turmoil. I know you're tired and I know you got a lot of partying to do. I'm trying to hurry here. I'm talking about, I'm talking about 4th of July partying. But peace or absence of peace is designed to be a safeguard that keeps us centered in the will of God. We told the story from um, Bob Mumford about the three harbor lights, uh, I, think, I think it was off the coast of Italy. And, you know, most of the time when you go into a harbor, you follow a light. And when you follow the light, it takes you to a place. But there was one particularly treacherous harbor in Italy that had three harbor lights. And the first time you go in that harbor, there's great consternation. Which light do I follow? And Mumford explained that this harbor was so treacherous and the channel so deep and so narrow that the only way you could enter the harbor safely is when you got your ship into the position where all three lights lined up and appeared as one. If you saw one light, you were okay. It didn't matter what was around you. If you saw one light, you're okay. If you saw two We'll get back to where you're only seeing one. If you see three, all hands on deck, prepare for impact. You're going down. <laughs> That's the way the peace of God works in our life. And I think the three harbor lights that Mumford points out are good. There's the Word of God, along with the confirmation of the Holy Spirit, and then the alignment of circumstances. You see, when those three things line up, the circumstances, the Word, the witness of the Spirit, 
you can proceed with confidence because you have peace. You say, Pastor, I'm a little confused now. I've, I've been taught that, you know, you're not supposed to let circumstances determine your actions. Well, there's a time for that. And everything has a qualifier that I don't have time to give. Uh, two out of three is not good enough. I, I want to get married. There's, there's, there's a girl that I want to marry and I've got my eye on her and I love her. She's everything I've asked for. Well, does that confirm, does that line up with God's word? Well, absolutely. God line, you know, you know, God created the family. Now you've got to go through the issues of whether it's, you know, your timing and all of that. But the word of God would say, unless you have the gift of celibacy and, and have committed to a life of celibacy, marriage is, marriage is okay. Um, Holy Spirit, what do you say about me getting married? Oh, I think you'd be far better married than single. You know, the first thing God said, not good, was when he saw man by himself, you know, created the whole universe. That's good. That, you, you know, black holes, that's good. All the, that's good. And then he saw Adam standing there without a wife. He said, no, <laughs> not good, not good. Ladies, you don't know how much we need you. You say, okay, so the spirit says I need a wife. The word says it's okay for me to get a wife. So I think I found her. Well, the circumstances. Now, if it's a circumstance that says, Neither of you have a job. It's going to be tough. Well, you can work through that circumstance. You can work through that. Love conquers all. But if it's a circumstance where she's married, <laughs> you got to pay attention to that circumstance. Peace, the sword of the spirit. You guys, are, you're just ridiculous today. The sword of the spirit is clearly identified as the word of God. And it must be guarded and revered. It must be examined and tested. It must be cherished above all else. When you look at the belt of truth and when you look at the sword of the Spirit, loved ones, you find out that Christianity does not work. Christianity does not work if you throw away a high view of Scripture. If you throw away a high view of Scripture and you say, well, I believe part of the Word or I believe some of the Word or... You know, any, any uh, hermeneutic is fine in interpreting the, the word. You have just destabilized the entire Christian life. Here's the last thing I need to hurry here. And it is this, the, the shield of faith. I say last thing, the last piece is the shield of faith. It enables us to minimize, deflect, and neutralize attacks from the enemy. Uh, loved ones, this is another high profile battle that we're facing right now. We are in and out of faith. I'm not talking about you're in and out of your relationship with God, but you're in and out of faith depending on your ability to believe something without any battle. Um, the first time somebody gives an argument that you want to, that makes sense to you, you'll cave in on all of this. And we have got to learn something that the ancients had that the old timers had, we've got to learn to believe even when there's nothing in us that says we ought to believe. Well, I just believe if it's God, you won't ever have any doubt. That's why we need faith. You're always going to be facing doubt, but you also have to learn to default to faith instead of defaulting to doubt. 
It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Hear me. God can certainly use intellect. God can certainly use education. But the depth of spiritual matters does not arrive from that source. That's why Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, just look at yourselves. He said, if you're having trouble believing that God can use you, look at yourself. Look, just look at everybody in church. He says, there aren't many mighty, not many noble, not many wise by this world's standards. And they were looking around. Yeah. He said, now I am thankful that he said there's not many because there are a lot of mighty and wise and noble that have come to faith in Jesus. And God can, God can, that doesn't mean that God can't use you if you're intelligent or mighty or wise. It just means he has to work a lot harder to use you. I didn't think anybody would laugh, but I'd hope for a little more than that. I guess to wrap that up, it's sort of like uh, somebody said to John Wesley one time, they said, Mr. Wesley, we at such and such church believe God doesn't need your education for us to know truth. And John Wesley said, I agree wholeheartedly, but he doesn't need your ignorance either. And John Wesley wasn't trying to tit for tat. He was trying to say, look, it doesn't matter if our IQ is off the charts or off the charts. He said, what matters is the product of faith in your heart. Now, prayer in the Spirit's the seventh thing, and it's not defined by a piece of armor, but an atmosphere in which, which we live. We must learn that all of this armor works not when energized by the flesh, but when energized by the Spirit. Not by my, not by power, but by my spirit. Now, this is the homework I want to give you. I, it's seven weeks. I'm, I want to give you seven weekly assignments. It's under Christian Life Lessons. And my, the thing I'm asking God to do is to, is to transform the way that we think about the whole armor of God. And here's what I want you to do. I want to ask you, and you might do this seven weeks in a row. You might do it every other week. You might say, I, I'm going to have to do it one a month. That's okay. But for instance, in week one, I suggest, um, Lord, help me understand that we live by faith, hope, and love. Help me learn the value of living in hopeful expectation. You're praying, you're putting on the helmet of salvation, you're learning to say, I'm no longer going to take my primary report from the news channel or from my critics or from the broken system that is around me. I am going to now begin to think and view life living in hopeful expectation. I know what God promised he'll do. I don't know when it's coming, but it will come. It will come. Um, Week two, help me, Lord, to be thankful for the security I have in you and help me to live a life that truly honors your wishes. May the words of my mouth, meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. You are my strength and my redeemer. The second week you're praying for that armor of, of righteousness, that armor of holiness. I encourage you to do that. Now, this has been, this has been a very heavily how-to message. Um, this is not the kind of message that people run and scream and come down to the altar 
Uh, I mean, you can if you want to. That, that would be wonderful. But what I'm, what I'm after today is for us to take these seven points of the whole armor of God and change the way we view it. Because to be honest, with most Christians, the seven points of armor mean nothing. They still think the same old way. They still live the same old way. They still subject their faith to whatever they think is adequate. They still ignore the safeguards of peace. They question the word. They, they, they default to doubt instead of belief. I'm, I'm not being critical, but I'm telling you, it usually takes us years to break that. All of us, me too. But I want, I want us to break it so that we can begin to walk. Because you know what, what does it say if we put this on? It says we're strong in the Lord and the power of his might and will stand in the evil day. Just think how many evil days we didn't stand in that we might have had we taken this seriously. Now, I, we're going to have the ministry team up front to pray with you. I also, as I said, I know this is kind of a different sermon. It's not one that lends itself automatically to an altar call. But I also know that some of you, and, and you guys, you can go ahead and move into position, please, the ministry team. I also know that there are some of you that you have other needs. It's not about the armor of God. You need prayer for healing. You've got a relationship that's broken. You need a financial miracle. I know that those needs are certainly legitimate. We're going to dismiss in 60 seconds. We're going to be dismissed. But I want you to know that if you have needs, the ministry team is here to pray for you here in Brown Chapel. If you're watching online, there'll be a phone number on your screen, may already be there. If you call it, there are people waiting to talk with you and to pray with you. If you can't get through for some reason, leave a message and we'll call you right back. Next week, we're gonna continue our journey. Uh, we got about two more things we wanna talk about in the traveling. And then, uh, then we're gonna take a break from fullness for a, for a couple of months and finish it out in the fall. Father, thank you. We love you. Let the grace of the Lord be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here. Please come if you'd like prayer. Please call in for prayer. Let God clothe you with his mighty power. I love you. God bless.